Welcome to the Philippe Matthews Show at thepmshow.tv. Named the Oprah of the Internet by Mark Victor Hansen, Philippe Matthews doesn't ask questions that are different. He simply asks questions that make a difference. The Philippe Matthews Show features entertainers, bestsellers, authors, thought leaders, change agents, and world-class experts in the field of personal, spiritual, and professional development. An internet marketing entrepreneur, Philippe is a creator of the How Movement, dedicated to teaching people how to move from the mindset of hope to the process of how. If you are ready to take your life to the next level, move from the mindset of why to the mindset of why not. Tune in right now to this latest edition of the Philippe Matthews Show and watch your life grow. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, with another uh, phenomenal episode of the Philippe Matthews Show with uh, a man who I consider to be uh, actually kind of like a father figure to me, uh, a great mentor, a great cat. Uh, his name is Dr. Cuddy Bacon III out of Chicago. Uh, gosh, I've known Cuddy, oh, my gosh, I would say 20, 30 years. It's crazy. You know, like, like I said, he's like, a, he's like a dad to me, right? So, you know, almost at birth. Uh, welcome, my good friend. Great to be with you, Philippe, and um, glad to know that you're still doing great things. So it's my pleasure to be uh, talking to you today and to visit your radio audience. Well, uh, for for the people listening, so you know who Dr. Cuddy Bacon III is, if you haven't heard of him already, uh, well, one, he is a, a multi-multi-millionaire and uh, decided to write a series of books uh, on how to become one uh, in various different ways. Uh, but uh, his first book was the book that really, I think, put him on the international platform, and that was how to teach kids to be millionaires. And, I, it, 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 you know, I love all of your other books, but that to me was the book that really spoke to me, and I absolutely love that book. Great. I certainly appreciate that. And it is um, probably my, my best effort, I have to say. I have to agree with you. Out of all my efforts, that wouldn't seem to turn out so much better than the rest. <laughs> Well, let's, let's, what we're going to talk about today, uh, ladies and gentlemen, with, with Dr. Bacon is uh, the mindset of millionaireship, the necessity of millionaireship. And I know uh, some of you right now might be listening saying, oh, my God, I, can't, I don't even know how I can afford to pay the bills and make a $100, let alone a million. But there is a necessity to this because uh, in order to uh, change the economy, you must become the economy. And the new mindset that, that we're going to be talking about and sharing is uh, if you don't want to be part of the 99%, uh, and obviously there are no jobs, then you're going to have to learn to develop the mindset to create a job, to become your own entrepreneur. Dr. Cuddy Bacon III is, 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 in my opinion, one of the best persons on the planet to do that. That being said, Doc, why don't you give us a little bit of background of where you grew up, where you're from, because uh, a lot of people might think you were born rich and born into wealth. Not the case. Uh, yes, I'm from uh, Louisville, Kentucky. I grew up, uh, as my uh, neighbors would say, dirt poor. Dirt poor meaning absolutely that. A uh, large family of uh, seven siblings and uh, one uh, low-income uh, working father and a stay-at-home mother. And growing up like that, my dad taught me entrepreneurship at a very young age. He simply said, when I asked him for allowance and said, Dad, I don't have any money, my friends get $5 a week or $10 a week to spend. 
He said, well, I'm going to show you how to earn $5 or $10 a week to spend so that you will not have to continue through life asking people for gifts. And so I will never give you an allowance. My requirement is that for you to set a budget of how much money you need per week, and then I'm going to show you a little business that you can earn it. And I showed him that, said, I really would like to have $10 a week. He said, fine, I'm going to build you a wagon, and you're going to become the neighborhood delivery man. You will go to the store for people. You will, people who have fireplaces, you will go to the wood place and pick up wood. And people who need coal, there's a coal place, you can pick that up. And you will charge them 50 cents a trip or more. And he said, uh, do the math on it, uh, uh, 20 trips, you got $10 at 50 cents. I said, how am I going to get the customers? He said, you're going to knock on every door within two blocks, east, west, north, and south of here, and mm-hmm. tell them your service. Write your name down and phone number on a piece of paper, and uh, if that doesn't work, come back to me and let me know. But do not come back until you knock on every door within two blocks each direction. On doing that, I was able to get about six customers the first time I went out and came home with $5 that day. So he said, well, you you know how it works now. Uh, All you have to do is expand it when you decide you need $20, expand your business. So that was my first lesson in entrepreneurship, and it has taught me how to go about uh, finding a need and filling that need and and earning money since that day. And uh, when I said I wanted to go to college, he said use the same method. By that time, I had learned several other jobs and businesses, and I was also a waiter, uh, could do uh, French service with gloves on and and high-end restaurants, so between waiting tables and taking leftover food from high-end restaurants, selling it in the dormitory, and buying chicken, making chicken sandwiches with hot sauce. I worked my way, paid all my tuition, was able to buy an automobile my senior year in college, and um, got voted the best-dressed man on the campus. So entrepreneurship has been my uh, lifeblood, and uh, it truly developed out of necessity. I think today... People need jobs, they need money, they need resources, and this is the best uh, situation in the world for one to learn by necessity. And that necessity is finding a need, I think, and fulfilling that need. I just talked to a young man the other day that I'm working with who's been jobless for about six months, and he says he couldn't figure out anything anybody needed. And I says, well, you know, let's sit down and let's let's think about this for five minutes. And he he has a rather large foot, wears a size 15 shoe. I said, do you know a place that anybody with a 15 or 16 shoe uh, could go get a nice pair of socks, a variety of socks for them? He said, no. I said, how about shoes? One or two places. I said, well, we just talked about a need. Um, all men need socks. All you have to do is find a place that has size 16, 18, and 20 socks, and then approach every man with a big foot, and you got a sock business. Mm-hmm. And Brilliant. so um, he, he's now looking into it. He's been online to find uh, inexpensive socks that he could buy for a dollar and sell for three or four dollars. And he thinks he's got a company, and he knows an awful lot of tall guys that are having problems finding socks. You know, some men wear white, some want black socks, some want blue. And, and typically, if you go in a major department store, said I like a pair of 16 socks, they look at you and laugh because they don't they don't enjoy <laughs> socks in past 13s. So it's just a matter of brainstorming, finding a need, and then fulfilling that need. 
the thing that I, I, I got from, from you sharing your story is that, you know, uh, the road to one's individual financial independence is, is, is just that. It's a road. There's a starting point. You don't end, you don't, you know, take this information and then overnight, uh, it's, it's going to happen. Uh, it, it, it takes discipline, it takes work, and it takes leverage. Uh, can you talk to us about, uh, the power of persistence, but also keeping uh, a reality of that you're going to have to put in some, some time and some work and some effort. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm working with a, a group of, of salespeople now, and they're just starting out their, their own home-based business, and they're selling um, primarily men's shirts and accessories. Mm-hmm. And, and one said to me, you know, I'm interested in making and clearing $2,000 a month. And I said, well, typically on a shirt you're going to cure somewhere between 50 and $75. Do the math on that and see for 2000 how many shirts you're going to have to sell. Mm-hmm. And she says, that, that's so many. I don't know how I'm going to get that. I says, well, here's the way it works. You start out the first week and you sell, you, you attempt to sell a shirt a day. And each person that you sell a shirt, you ask them for one or two referrals. And the next week you've got 10 possible to 10 to 12 possible sales. And as you build on that in a, in a year's time, you may have 300 customers buying 600 shirts. Mm-hmm. And you're getting close to your goal. But it isn't a matter of getting an idea and suddenly uh, the, by the end of the month you're going to be selling 600 shirts. And I said, do the math on it. If you work 300 days a year and you sell two shirts a day, that's 600 shirts. But you then have to find the customers, you have to sit down and you have to figure out how to cold call, how to warm call, you have to find your niche. For example, shirts for men operate the same as I was uh, used the example about socks. Mm-hmm. Real tall men and big men have a problem finding a shirt that they like, a nice-looking shirt. For example, there are many men who wear 3X and 5X shirts. They have a very hard time. So you, in getting your niche, find out where big men hang out and began to network with them and develop you a crew, uh, a customer base of large and tall men who need exercises that can't find them. And then very small men have the same problem. For example, I have a customer that's five foot one and he wears a 14 shirt, which is a boy's size. And he cannot find shirts that he like. He likes to go with his, his suits. So you then begin to develop a network of small men. You become known as the uh, man who has shirts that um, are designed for hard-to-fit men. And mm-hmm. you develop mm-hmm. that from a Facebook, from your social media, and you become known, and you coin the word, I'm the man that can fit any man no matter what size he is. But that takes time. And as I say, it's a it's a building it's a, a building block type process. You start out today, as I say, making this week making a hundred dollars a week, and you keep increasing that. And by the end of the year, you may have a business that you're doing a thousand dollars a week, and in two years, you're doing two or three thousand. 
So it's a, absolutely it's incredible own building block business. It does not happen overnight, but as again as you said, you persistently stay with it, and everybody you talk to, all your communications, you begin to coin yourself as the person who specializes in shirts to fit any man, also the hard to fit man. In a year or two or three, you have a striving business that you can make. You can have a six-figure income. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's talk about the book a bit. Uh, why is it important, uh, and even beyond important perhaps, why is it necessary for kids to learn how to become millionaires? I think it's absolutely necessary to start with kids because you can get them before they get a mindset. Uh, many adults do not believe that they can ever acquire a million dollars. Mm-hmm. Because after you have 30, 40, 50 years of being broke, you just think it's a way of life. So you, you cease to dream. The wow, back up for a moment, Doc. Back up for a moment. And hasn't been that Wait a minute, Doc. You just, you just targeted on something. That was incredible. I want, to, I want to capture that. You just said that people who have had 30, 40, or 50 years of being broke just take that as a reality. Yeah. Well, wow. Wait. I've been broke for 40 years. Wow! Enough money to cover all my basic needs. Most and see the the the, uh, the tragic thing about most broke people is most of their friends and associates are broke. Millionaires mm. don't run around with broke people, and they don't look for them. And broke people don't look for millionaires to go around with because they feel they don't want to be bothered. So uh, when you have a community of broke people. And everybody says the same thing, I'll never have enough. It becomes your reality because you believe it and you feed into it with your friends and your family and your associates. But when you start the young mind to thinking of having money, what the first step is of being a millionaire is is learning not to spend because there's only four things you can do with money. The worst thing you can do with it is spend it. And the one reason why people become millionaires, they learn how, how, how not to spend money. <laughs> okay. But I there's a science behind that. We're very wealthy. And when we go to lunch and the tab comes, they always look at me first. <laughs> <laughs> if I don't grab the tab, they say, how much How much is my portion? They never say, <laughs> I am going to pay for this lunch. If it's two of us, they say, what is my portion? Not not what is the bill, but what is my portion? <laughs> Always my portion. And the, the 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 idea of that is never spend any money that you don't have to spend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so when you start youngsters out with that mindset, that when you get money, it's designed to keep it. And the last thing you do is spend it. They will get in the habit of saving and investment. Investing, which is the first step to acquiring money. You see, our kids today, a typical kid in a middle-income household, has the opportunity of $25, $40 going through his hand every 10 days. And it goes in small amounts. A kid will walk in and say, can I have a couple bucks uh, for candy? Or can I have $5 to get a quarter pounder? Or can I have $6 to go to Chipotle's? Before you know it, in, in 10 days' time, He's, he's had his hands on 25 to $40. Now, the smart mm-hmm. kid, if you teach him right, will take the $40 and find a snack at home and spend $5 of it and keep 35 mm-hmm. The kid who mm-hmm. hasn't been taught will spend every penny of it and become angry because he doesn't have any money. Mm-hmm. So the first step is teaching a youngster 
to keep his money because once he figures out that he gets his hand on a hundred dollars a month and he can keep seventy five at the end of the year he's going to have seven eight hundred dollars mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in five years he's, he's in he's that then into the thousands because if he keeps eight hundred dollars a year in five years he's got four thousand dollars wow and that's the the first life lesson of becoming wealthy the 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 second um, reason why we start with with uh, with kids is if it becomes a habit, things that we develop as a kid as a habit, we generally don't lose them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, for example, young people who are taught at a young age, as I was taught, that I had to save ten cents out of a dollar. You almost never stop that. You 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 grow and you begin to save twenty five cents out of the dollar, and it just becomes an obsession with you. I can't when I spend down to this, I can't spend it. Also, mm-hmm. when you get into habit of not allowing your savings account as a kid to be lower than five hundred dollars, you then begin to set those limits on yourself when you become a young adult and say, I'm going to keep five thousand dollars all the time. Mm-hmm. And then you start investing in it and making money on it, and it becomes a habit. The same as many people, when they get uh, their checks, are in a habit of going shopping. They go to the mall, and all their excess money is gone for clothing. And they mm-hmm. do that every payday. And they take themselves out to dinner every payday, and they're broke by the time the next payday comes. People who learn to hold that money and put it back, they begin to see it stack up, and there's a great pleasure in knowing that there's five, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars in savings and investments. And those those habits all start as a kid because if you're taught that you you keep half and you save and invest half, your mindset becomes keep and save rather than spend and spend and spend. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, those are those are habits that you get started as a kid that most people don't lose them as they grow up because it's just a it's a way of life. Absolutely excellent. So so number one is don't spend your money. Number two, make it a habit. Yes. What would be number three? Uh, number three is. Always save or uh, save and invest. Okay, all right. And, and I, I followed that with only the four things you can you can do with money. You can spend it, you can save it or invest it, and you can give it away or donate it. Mm-hmm. Those are the only four things you can do with money. Now, some people will argue with you. You can lend money, but I, I tell lending money is a gift. So there's really only four things you do with mo- you can do with mm-hmm. money, and mm-hmm. you start those lessons one, two, three, four, as young as you possibly can, and then you supervise the youngster in practicing those. You take him to the institution and get him a savings account so he can save. You teach him when he gets money that you keep half and spend half or more, and as he begins to accumulate, you then show him investments that a youngster understands. And you also teach him how to give because mm-hmm. part of the the, the uh, millionaire growth mentality is you must give, and and that doesn't you find worthy causes to do. And if a youngster gets in the habit of only giving a dollar or two dollars a month, he, he develops a very very rich habit with money and donating to causes, worthy causes. Those are the basic uh, four steps. And, of course, the, the next step is is to teach him how to buy low and sell high, and that's entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Our whole economy, I have a chapter in the book on home-based businesses, how you teach a child home-based business. The key to making money 
in any service or product is buying low and selling high. For example, a youngster who figures out that he can buy a, a dollar toy uh, from China for uh, either ballpoint pen or 10 cents, and he can sell it for 50 cents and takes it to school and begins to sell it for 50 cents and make uh, 40 uh, cents on every sale. Once he learns that if he sells uh, 100 of those, he's got $40. Uh, he then knows $40 profit. He then knows how to buy low and sell high. And that's mm -hmm. the way the stock market works. That's where everything works in a capitalistic society. You buy low and you sell high. And teaching him uh, how to do that and developing a home-based business is the first steps in, in teaching him entrepreneurship, which can lead from dollars and quarters to hundreds and thousands and millions of dollars. Right. How young? How young should they? How young should parents begin uh, teaching uh, these principles? What would you say would be the uh, the, the best uh, years, uh, the earliest years? I think the earliest years is, is when a youngster. You give him money, and he says, can I go spend it? If you give him a dollar, he takes it and throws it in the garbage can, and he doesn't realize what it is, it's a, it's a little early. But as soon as he says, can I have a dollar, he hears the ice cream trucks coming, he says, can I have 50 cents, and he runs out and spends it, he knows exactly what you do with money then. <laughs> so if he's three years old and he, he, you give him a dollar, he immediately goes and spends it, it's time to start teaching. <laughs> Even if he's a year and a half, he goes out to buy some candy. It's just time to start teaching because he already knows. And there's something about a young kid. They come into the world knowing what to do with money. That is interesting. You know, one thing to do with it, spend it. I have uh, several grandkids. I have. I was telling my son about his uh, daughter. We were at the house, and he was he had this long discussion with me about when to start and how much time you give him. So. The truck came by with the whistles on it with ice cream, and the kid, I think the kid wasn't even two and a half years old, and she, she asked for money. He gave her money, and she ran right out with her sister to get ice cream. I said, it's time to start teaching. She knows exactly what to do with the dollar. So whenever they go to spend it, you know. If they, if they pick it up and burn it up or throw it in the garbage, you know it's a little early to teach them about money. But um, once they spend it, it's, it's time for the lesson to start. It's that's that's incredible. Um, you talk about uh, in the book the uh, ripping and tearing and shredding of credit cards. As you know, as we all know, uh, ninety percent, uh, perhaps even ninety-nine percent, uh, of America's population is uh, in credit card debt up to their ear, to the point where many of them, I don't know if they feel they can even ever pay it back. Talk about the importance of having credit but not through the use of credit cards yeah credit is very important to have you know as you know with the um five scores now you can if you want any kind of loan or any kind of credit you you've got to have a good credit score and many people have been led to believe that the only way you get them is to have four or five credit cards and use them every day which is incorrect uh, now they, that that they run credit checks on it, they check everything from your cell phone bill to your utility bill. So uh, for emergencies, it's fine to have one on hand, but never use it. The reason why I advocate not using credit cards is 95% of Americans who use credit cards 
buy items that cost multiple items that cost under a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Items add up to thousands of dollars, and they they can't pay it. It forces one, and uh, I believe, to live above their means. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about using cash is you can't use any cash that you don't have. So you will mm-hmm. find that that if you spend cash only on small items and large ones, if you can afford it, you will find out you need much less. And what I advocate is living below your means. And the one way you can live below your means is never buy anything unless you have cash for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Other than real estate and large items that you, you, you have to finance over some years. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the way to get rid of I tell people to shred up their credit cards because if, if most people have to sit down and look at them. They charge things like Walgreens, the grocery store, Starbucks, uh, deodorant, um uh, clothing items that are 50, 60, and, and these items just add up. And once you miss a payment, if you got a low interest rate of 10 to 15%, it goes up to 25 or 30%. Mm-hmm. And if you charge as little as $5,000, max out a card at $5,000, and you pay every payment on time, you're going to pay somewhere in the neighborhood of $20,000 back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your robbery. Absolutely. And once you go over the maximum limit that they set, it's thirty to forty dollar fine each month. It's over. And once you're late one time, your interest rates double. And some some banks have as high as thirty-five and forty percent interest rates, which is pure robbery. And so I teach people instead of paying interest, earn interest. Take the money mm-hmm. that you're paying on credit cards if you're paying, say, five hundred dollars a month on your credit cards, get rid of them, shred them, put $500 in a CD each month and let it earn some interest for you instead mm-hmm. of paying those that, those huge interest rates. And also it, it improves your mental health. People who are tied down with huge numbers of credit cards find life very stressful for them. It gives them headaches. It gives them, Many people can't sleep. They don't harass you as much as they used to on the phone about your payments. But it is a constant area of stress for most people who are mm-hmm. deep in debt. And most of them are deep in debt also have that loser feeling they'll never get out of debt because their debts are so high they can't see their way out. So my solution is dread them up, get rid of them, Keep one for emergency if you just must have it and lock it up. But on a day-to-day operational base, if you go to the drugstore or grocery store and you don't have the money to buy the items, all the items you need, get one half of what you need for credit and don't pay out all of those high interest rates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speak to us about, um, the, you know, the debt. Um, a lot of people are in debt. How do they, what would be, you know, you gave the, Example of uh, putting $500 a month into a CD. What are some of the other ways uh, to get out of debt? And also, I guess, what are some of the key mindset components uh, to get out of debt? Because we are talking about kids, but we're also talking about those those 30, 40, 50-year-olds that you were talking about that we were discussing earlier. Uh, There is hope for them. But it's also about mindset and then taking some action. Can you speak on both of those uh, aspects for me? Yeah, I think when you begin to take de- uh, action out of getting out of debt, it's you first put together a plan, and having a plan that that you simply sit down and and make a list of all of your bills 
and then sit down with with the members of your family and says we're going to stop charging mm-hmm. a, a a reasonable date with, based on the income you have for example if you have ten thousand dollars worth of, of of debt and you can see yourself paying six hundred dollars a month on it divide that into the amount with the interest and set a date in the future a year and a half two years that you're going to pay it off and start out with your smallest bill and uh, your highest interest interest bill and pay them off first and, and gradually set up each month, every two months, that you're going to get rid of a, a, a bill and then don't take any more out. Uh, the reason being is I think that once you get in deep in debt and not having any plans for spending, mm-hmm. getting out of debt takes plan, it takes organization, and it takes admitting that you have a problem. See, one of the problems with people who mm-hmm. need debt they really decide they don't have a problem. Many of them don't look at their bills each month. They just get the bill and and, and sit a minimum amount in and say, "I'll just I'll just pay on this because I'll never get out." But you getting out of debt uh, requires a plan, and it's very much like people have to look at it as an addiction. Using credit cards is very much like using a substance. Some people just can't stop. So mm-hmm. you have to have a withdrawal time. You have to have a plan time, and you have to have a plan of action. And the steps of action is is to start and, and, and with a monthly or every two months getting rid of one and don't stop until every one of them is gone and make a commitment to yourself never, ever again to go in that kind of debt. Mm, okay, okay, excellent, excellent. Now, you know, one of the things that you talk about also uh, in dealing with the, the millionaire uh, mindset uh, and what millionaires do that poor people don't do uh, is uh, putting them putting themselves on uh, a weekly salary. Millionaires basically, they, as you say, they don't want to spend any money. So they, you, you talk about putting yourself on a weekly salary. Talk to us about that. Yes, uh, based on your income, uh, and to keep control of your spending and to have a plan for spending. A person can sit down, a millionaire generally sit down with themselves and say, I am going to spend on a weekly base uh, $300 for food, personal needs, and gasoline, and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And they count themselves out in an envelope $300, and they pay themselves that. And they don't go beyond that. They do the same thing with their investing. If they have uh, $10,000 a week coming in, they decide first thing I'm going to do is pay myself. They set up a plan. Many of them have automatic uh, investment plans where they invest in stocks and bonds. They invest in CDs that come directly out of their checking account every month on a monthly basis. And so they can say, every month I am investing ten to $20,000. When they are involved with companies, they set up profit share arrangements. They set up uh, sheltered arrangements where they shelter maximum amounts into these accounts that are automatically deducted. And they do that first. They call that pay yourself first uh, kind of idea. And the pay yourself practice simply says before I pay anybody and give anybody and spend, I pay myself first. And that's with a, a monthly plan of investing and investing in money for yourself to grow wealth rather than to get your money, go spend, and say, after I finish spending, if there's anything left, I'll save it, which is typically the mindset of the non-millionaire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
moving on to, or, or actually continuing on speaking about the mindset of millionaires and what millionaires do differently than uh, non-millionaires, um, speak to us about how millionaires buy cars versus uh, poor people, because obviously a, a lot of people don't know it's that uh, one of the things that I remember first seeing you, uh, seeing you is I said, who is this? You know, this this six foot four brother uh, getting out of a brand spanking new shiny Rolls Royce uh, and dressed head to toe. Who is this cat? And and you were the first cat that I met that uh, uh, you know had a collection uh, of of Rolls Royces and Clinets and and Bentleys. But what was fascinating is is how you told me you accumulated all of these cars and and the difference in how millionaires purchase products of sort versus poor people. Speak to us about that. Yes. Uh, the number one thing I learned uh, uh, many years ago, if you're going to buy, if you like fine luxury automobiles, you first have to uh, devise a plan for buying them less than what they cost. And when I found out that the high-end automobiles change body styles about every 10 years, and that when they are four years old, they in four years they depreciate 50%. I decided that I was always going to buy high-end automobiles, but I would never buy them until they depreciated 50%. For example, mm. in today's market, a new uh, Bentley that costs $350,000 I already know that in four years I can go buy that car for approximately $150. So what I do is simply go get all the new brochures and lay them on my desk and watch them for four years. And then I go out and get the price. And I said, this car sold for $300,000. It's now time to go take a $125,000 cashier's check and buy the car when it's four years old. And then buying the car, the other thing is financing. One thing I learned is automobile dealers deal, their product is automobiles. So you never go to an automobile dealer and say, how can I finance this? You always mm. go to a bank or to a credit union or a money lending institution to get money for an automobile. Why do you do that? It puts you in the driver's seat. If you walk into an automobile dealer and he has a car for $100,000 and you have a cashier's check for $75,000 or $80,000, it's a great possibility that you're going to walk out of there with the car. Because, number one, 95% of the people that walk through the door will not have a cashier's check. Mm -hmm. The other thing we know is automobile dealers want to move cars. And they want money. So they are not going to let a person walk into their place with 80% of what they sell in a car for and probably not get the money. And they will give you long discussions about you need another few dollars or you need a few more thousand. But if you look at it and I says, well, I have about 15 minutes and you have the car I want. And I have $80,000. I'm going to get a cup of coffee at Starbucks. I'll be back in 10 minutes. Let me know your decision. Give me that And you take the car. And, and, and where they take your ears when you go in and say, I'm looking for financing. It will give you financing anywhere from 5% to 35% on that car and you'll pay mm-hmm. double or triple the value. But that's the way, uh, I've bought cars for the last 30 years, and it is also uh, the thing to keep in mind is once a luxury car depreciates 50%, 
uh, in four years, the next four years it will probably depreciate only 25%. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it, this is fascinating. Luxury cars depreciate, or high-end luxury cars, depreciate at a slower rate than, uh, you know, regular or domestic. It's quite true, yes. Uh, a a Ford or Chevy probably depreciates uh, about 60% in four years. Wow. Because, one, there is, there is not as much demand for those cars, and, two, people tend to drive them more. High-end luxury cars, typically, it is not uncommon to find a high-end Bentley or Rolls Royce four years old with 10,000 miles on it because people just tend not to drive them. It's not a car that's considered, for most people that have them, an everyday driver. So it's it's very easy to walk in a Bentley or Rolls Royce Tiller and find four- and five-year-old cars with five and six and 7,000 miles on it because people just tend not to drive them much. And they typically take better care of them. The more mm-hmm. you, know, mm-hmm. you spend for a car, if a guy's spending $350,000 for a new car as opposed to one that's spending $35,000 for a car, he has a totally different mindset about how to take care of it, who should um, service it, how it's going to be serviced, how it's going to look. If he gets a nick on it, he's very serious about getting the nick out. So typically your high-end cars at five years old look brand new because they've been used for very little as opposed to a $25,000 car that one drives to the supermarket and to the shopping center every day and people bang the doors against it and bump, bump the bumpers. Now, you know what I'm hearing, uh, again, uh, in in, in the, the information that you're sharing? I'm hearing about uh, patience. I'm hearing about uh, saving money. I am hearing these are the underlying things that you just talked about a few moments ago, That it's, and also discipline and a plan. All of this is part of the millionaire mindset. So I want people to really get that when they, when they hear this that this is the way to train your brain to think differently. Absolutely. Uh, the car is a good example. One of the most emotional times you'll find in, in, in adult human beings in America is when they get ready to get a new car. Now, put emphasis on new. Mm-hmm. They, they're emotional about it because it's, a, it's a, the biggest ticket item they're ever going to buy other than a piece of real estate. And it's a very emotional I've watched, I have friends who get very involved in the color a car they want, the color interior they want, and what they must have. And the only way they can get this is order it out and pay even more money. Where people who have money, millionaires who have money, say, I want this particular car. Now, maybe I don't want a bloody red one, I don't want a purple one, but if it's uh, metallic gray, or metallic light blue, or black, I can live with that. And so it's not an emotional thing. It's a it's a it's a business deal that they're going after. There's absolutely no emotions involved whether I get the car in 2011 or 2012 or 2013. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a mo- piece of transportation, or it's another item I'm going to have. But if I don't get the deal I want, I will continue comfortably driving the car that I have until I get the deal I want. Many people, millionaires who don't buy luxury cars, one of the most common cars you'll find that they drive are Fords and Chevys. And they they will simply, their method is they drive the car until it presents so many mechanical problems that it isn't feasible to drive it anymore. It's more economical to get another one. And when they go to get the additional used car, I had a neighbor that did that. He was very much bothered. He bought a five-year-old Ford 
about six years ago, mm -hmm. and he paid less than $10,000 for the car. But in the condo building I live in, parking spaces are about $60,000. He said he just couldn't sleep that night thinking that he bought the car, wasn't so bad. But then to think that he had to pay $60,000 for a parking space just... This drove him crazy, and although you could always fill <laughs> parking spaces is what you paid for him, he was truly bothered by that because he had managed to get the car for $9,000 and a five-year-old car with less than 20,000 miles on it. And uh, many of them ref would refuse to buy a new car. They, one with low miles used, and they strictly look at it as a means of transportation as opposed to an item that they use as a status symbol. Absolutely, absolutely amazing. You know, emotions involved in it, and uh, it's always a cash deal. You always take a cashier's check in, and you always take it for 20, 25% less than what they're asking for, and typically you get the car. Absolutely amazing. Um, how can people get in contact with you, and also how can they uh, get uh, your book, How to Teach Kids to Be Millionaires? They can simply call me at 773-363-6133. Be happy to talk to them and mail them a book anytime they'd like. That is absolutely fantastic. Dr. Bacon, One uh, uh, in closing, uh, any uh, advice, uh, direction, uh, information you would like to, to leave our listeners uh, and the importance of uh, developing a millionaire mindset. I think in, with the economy as it is, and everybody's talking about, you know, slight recession or depression, is don't buy into those concepts. Uh, mm. For example, I have a sales team that I work with, and they they said that in the December, uh, you know, January is going to be bad. I said, yeah, if you decide it's going to be bad, it really is going to be bad. Mm -hmm. And the mindset in when the economy is bad, when jobs are scarce, is, is don't buy into that concept for yourself. Sell yourself that things are going to be good. You're going to, you may have to double your effort to get the same amount of money. But develop a mindset that, that things are going to be good. The, the millionaire mindset is there are no bad days and no bad years to make money. Mm -hmm. Do not mm -hmm. spend, stop spending money because money is tight. Anybody that has money spends it. And we have an economy where 95% of the people that get money are going to spend it all. The mm -hmm. question is, are you going to get some of it or is somebody else going to get it? So mm -hmm. with the economy as it is, have the mindset but the people that are spending money, you're going to get a portion of it, and you don't you don't care what the economists say about it, or when the when the smart stock market is going to rise, or when business is going to get better. Business is good because you're going to make it good. If you've been prospecting ten people to sell a day in a in a good economy, that means you're going to prospect twenty or thirty and still make the same kind of money you were making when things were good. Absolutely incredible. Fantastic, fantastic, bravo! Thank you, Doc. Thank you. Uh, I, want, I, I, I uh, absolutely love you. I want you to become a regular guest on the show. I want you to come back and uh, let's keep training uh, the mindsets uh, of, of these new millionaires and these, these uh, the, the youth that, that's coming up. Uh, and uh, anytime you have a subject matter that you want to discuss, let me know, and I would love to have you back on. Great. Nice being with you. I look forward to being with you again. All right, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye.